0: Uh, so let 's talk with, let's start with why are we taking up this topic? Why is this important? Uh, is it important at all and, and why is it important? So the first is that the church of every age is responsible to engage the world around it that 's the first reason why I think it 's worth taking up this topic so for example, in the first century, as the church is, um, as the new testament church is is blossoming, the real question for them is, do you have to become Jewish? before you become a Christian. It was a serious topic. They had to have a general assembly where they sent leaders from all over the church to have this debate on should you become Jewish first before you become a Christian. That was a serious topic in the culture at the time. Or 300 years later where the topic is how do we understand that Jesus is God and human? That seems very difficult to reconcile, very difficult to articulate. Lots of people are arguing against it. What does the church have to say about it? And so one of the reasons I think we should take up this topic is I don't know of one that is more hot button in the last generation and, and it's not going away. I do think there's going to be a time where it's not the, the hottest topic out there because I do think these things come and go. But this is the topic of the day. It leads into all the questions of who am I and who says that? Who can tell me who I am? And because all the questions of justice socially are really floating around, who can tell me who I am and what I what do, who can tell me that? And that's part of the reason why we're taking up a topic. Uh, number two, our world is obsessed with the topic of justice, but is in need of a clear-eyed understanding of the basis of what I would call true justice, biblical justice. I'll say it again, There's overlap. Between biblical justice and what some people are talking about as social justice, but there are huge departures as well, significant departures. And we as Christians need to know what those departures are because when those topics come up, we have a responsibility to engage and to give an answer with gentleness and respect. Finally, the plain reading of Scripture is replete with commands for justice and requirements for seeing it demonstrated. Could you read that last one one more time? Just you. Just read it. Just, just to yourself. Here are several of those biblical commands Jeremiah 22 3. Who has that? Katie. Micah six, eight, who has that? Okay. Isaiah fifty eight, six. Jeremiah twenty two sixteen Isaiah Chapter One, verses fifteen through seventeen. And those were technically in the form of commands. Those are, that's God commanding His people to seek justice. To do justless, justice. Do justly, love mercy. To do justice. To take care of certain groups of people. right? To spend time and effort in ministry reaching out to marginalized people. I was tempted to take the whole hour and say, let's go through as many Bible verses as we can that talk about doing justice, literally command you to do justice. We could do it. We could go on and on and on into the ministry of Jesus who describes, demonstrates, lives out what we're going to talk about as biblical justice for the next four weeks. It's one of the reasons why, scratch that, it's the reason you should give ear to this follower of Jesus is he commands you to give ear to this. He commands you to have this as a priority in your heart to do justice. Now we're going to talk about, for the next four weeks, what does that mean? And how is that similar for the cries for justice in our culture and then in some ways extraordinarily different and contrasted from what the culture is crying out for in justice? So these are the four topics for the next four weeks. Uh, We're going to take the first one today. But this is really how the book is set up, is justice and worship, justice and community, justice and salvation, justice and knowledge. And so today is justice and worship. And we're going to answer 12 questions total for the entire study. So today we have three questions to address. It won't take us long. And then we will turn to you and talk about questions and answers uh, on the, the topic of biblical justice, right? <clears throat> um, when they, when the session did ask uh, during my sabbatical year, which by the way, I spent on the island of Fiji. Thank you for taking care of all that. It was awesome. It was awesome. One of the reasons to join this church is when they give you a sabbatical, it's awesome. It's really great. Going well. That's right. That's right. That's for sure. <laughs> um, they, they, they said, here's some topics we want to talk about. Here's some books we want to read. Um, and of the books we read, the technology topic came up. We talked about church history. Um, but this is the one that I wanted to get to. And it's not because um, I think uh, I, I'm, I'm a fan of controversy or I'm a fan of, of conflict. I, I'm, I just think it's really applicable. I think it's so important to be able to answer our neighbor when these questions come up. It is our call, this is our time as Christians in this era to be able to say, what does it mean to do justice? What does it mean to seek justice? So today our focus is justice and worship, and a few things I'm going to say at the start and then we'll dive into the three questions. The Bible commands us to do justice. We just went through some, similar, some examples of that. We could go all day, literally. We could spend the entire hour just reading passages about justice. Not all things called justice in our culture are true expressions of justice. Not everything that people say is a justice issue are really justice issues. There are differences. It's one of the things I really appreciate about the book is that um, he's, not, he's not trying to kowtow or be nice or uh, just get along. Uh, he, he's coming at it from a, what does the Bible say? And isn't that where we should start? And even for unbelievers, how do we engage in that conversation where the Bible and God's view of justice becomes the overarching approach, right? Um, I, I don't think you're going to find a lot of um, uh, try-to-be-nice-and-get-along get, be nice and get along talk in this book. The foreword is by John Perkins. Everybody know who John Perkins is? John Perkins, a Mississippian phenomenal follower of Jesus, experienced tremendous injustice in Mississippi and yet is one of the, um, the real voices for how do we establish justice, not in a um, worldly way, worldly categories, but in a biblical view. And he writes the foreword to this book. So we're going um, to tackle it from that approach. Uh, no rational person is anti-justice. There are insane people that are, but no rational person is anti-justice all would generally claim that justice is an important issue. My guess is, even if you find yourself uh, pugilistic on these topics with um, uh, justice and social justice in the culture, even if you're one of the pugilistic folks, you would you would say this is an important topic. And one of the reasons I think it's so important is some of the language of the Bible has been seconded, has been uh, adopted by... Um, groups that would not have a clear picture of justice in mind, and we have a responsibility and an an opportunity to kind of um, speak into that. Um, Speaking into that is not dropping a bomb on Twitter. Speaking into that is not just uh, replaying somebody's uh, gotcha moment on Facebook. Um, Engaging is, how how can I establish a relationship where I can hear you, you can hear me, And even on the back end, if we don't agree, at least, at the very minimum, you do understand where I'm coming from. You do understand why my biblical worldview would affect my view of justice and where it comes from. Does that make sense? Um, And then finally, no one is neutral. It's one of the most important lessons that anybody who is a a church-going individual, a church-going person, needs to address in their own heart. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have to wrestle with this one. You're not neutral. You never were. You've never been neutral. When you were not a Christian, you could not claim neutrality. That I'm just in the middle, and I don't have any view one way or the other. The Bible says something totally different. That you are born in sin. You are born in in a state of desiring injustice because you're a sinner. And the many things that you do to mistreat people is characterized as injustice by God. You're not neutral neither am I. And so in this topic, I know that there's, um, even, even for me, there's some desire to kind of um, take a position where I can be in the middle and, and maybe be a peacemaker between people who have different, there's just not, there's not a neutral position. There is biblical justice, there is non-justice, and we're, we're trying to figure out those two. Make sense? So our first topic is justice and worship, and the verse that I've uh, tagged on this slide is really, really important. And and the title of the whole series is called, And Justice for All, or just Justice for All. And what we mean by that is biblical justice for all. And what I mean by the all is it needs to begin where all justice should begin. And that is Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. If all justice began there, there would be no injustice. I'll say it again. If all of our view of justice began with an understanding, a right understanding of this verse and a right application of it, there would be no injustice. Zero. And I know you're thinking, well, Sean, over the span of millennia, there have been people who have been claiming to be followers of Jesus, claiming to be Christian, who who exact horrible injustice on people. Horrible. So how can you say that? Because if you are um, right, rightly applying, rightly understanding Exodus 23, there would be no injustice. Here's a couple of examples. So the one that Thaddeus Williams uses as the kickoff for his book is um, uh, ancient uh, Mexico City, where the Aztec uh, kingdom is flourishing. Uh, they are... They are um, they have a, a, a great deal of wealth, a great deal of influence. And in the midst of all of the Aztec Empire comes uh, one Hernán Cortez, Spaniard conquistador who shows up and makes his way to the capital of the Aztec Empire, to Mexico City. Here is the scenario. There are two temples set up in Aztec uh, life, in Aztec worship. One is to the sun god. One is to the water god. At the, at the sun god temple, if you show up there and uh, there's a sacrifice being made, it's a human sacrifice. An adult is having, not to be too graphic or too gory, is having their heart cut out, put on a post, set a fire, the body rolled down the hill to the cannibals below. A cannibalistic culture. At the water god's temple, they're doing the same thing, except they're torturing children first before they sacrifice them. Because the tears of children are how the god of water continues to bless the people of the Aztec Empire. Let me just let that kind of sit. That's, that's not CGI stuff. That's for real. That, that happened. We, we've been to Peru many, many times, and uh, one of the places they'll take you is the place where... Just in, in the news two years ago, uh, a huge gravesite or uh, a mass grave of children's bodies who were offered up as sacrifices on the, on the outskirts of Trujillo, on the outskirts of the very town that we're going to minister to, right? So he uses the Aztecs as here is a, here is a, a graphic picture of injustice by the Aztecs. And here comes Hernan Cortez, who has as his mission to gather wealth. That's part of his mission. And in doing so, finds that, I can find that amongst the Aztecs. Gets to the uh, Aztec capital, uh, begins to conquer, and as he does, uh, there is murder, rape, pillage, um, theft, all the things that you would put in the category of injustice of another culture on a culture, right? All the things you would put in the category of injustice. Both are practicing heinous injustice, Aztec and Spanish conquistadors, right? Both are practicing heinous injustice. And it all starts with um, their understanding of uh, what what the benefit is for them, but it really starts with who God is in their minds, both the Aztecs and the Spanish. Who is God? Because in the minds of the Aztecs, it's this water god and this um, uh, sun god. And in the minds of uh, the Spanish conquistadors, it's power and and wealth. Those are the gods they're serving. And so if you're going to address justice, you're going to have to do it in the sense of um, there is a worship element going on here. The Aztecs are worshiping. It's, It's despicable worship. But in their minds, it's worship. And the Spanish conquistadors are worshiping. It's despicable worship. But in their minds, this this is what they're going after. One more quick example before we dive into the questions. Um, I met Gary Hogan. Gary Hogan is the founder of International Justice Mission. And if you know anything about them, his original um, motivation to start IJM was that he was, under Bill Clinton, the emissary, the government official, who was sent to Rwanda in the early 90s after the genocide. And I know you've heard about it, and I know you've seen, probably seen the movie. Uh, but I got to talk to Gary Hogan about it, and um, an amazing story. Because the injustice committed there, just so you, you know, um, in the space of 100 days... 800,000 people of Rwanda were murdered in the span of 100 days. And it wasn't with high-powered artillery, machine guns, uh, poison gas. It was none of those things. Neighbor killed neighbor with machetes. Uh, Almost a million people in in 100 days in the early 90s. You think about that like that's ancient. No, 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 no. Um, that's the Rwandan genocide. And the injustice that was going on there was the the, colon, the colonization of Rwanda to co- come and take from that country what they wanted. And when they set up camp there, they established two different groups of people, the Hutus and the Tutsis, and you got identified by a government card of which one you were. And that set the stage for when the distrust happened, we're going to wipe out one. So the injustice kind of flourished amongst people that were by the way, they found most, uh, a lot of the bodies were found in churches, in churches, where they either stacked them up or just found them there and went to work. That's the, that's the backdrop of injustice that most of us go, that's despicable and, and horrendous and um, can't, can't, can't even imagine it. You can if your first thought is not that worship is misplaced, that what do they, what What the Hutus and the Tutsis were worshiping and what the Belgians were worshiping, all of it was misplaced, 100% of it misplaced. Um, Gary Hogan wrote a book, his first book, uh, I've read several of them, but his first book was The Good News of Injustice, and the subtitle is, There's a God in Heaven Who Hates It. That's the good news. The good news for you and me about injustice that goes on in the world, injustice that you suffered, and injustice that goes on in real ways all around us. The good news is this. There's a God in heaven who hates it and has sworn to put a stop to it. Your time frame is not his, but he has sworn to end it and shall. So we're going to tackle the first three questions that really kind of differentiate between biblical justice and what our culture is calling justice or social justice or whatever you want to call it. Because I do think there are times when those things overlap. And I do think there are times when they are so far apart, we should point it out. So question number one on differentiating between biblical justice and what's called social justice, does your vision of justice take seriously the godhood of God? In other words, is your worship really pointed in the right direction? Are you worshiping power, gold? Are you worshiping the sun, the moon? Those are, those are kind of categories We go, ah, nobody does that. Uh, there's a lot of other kinds of worship going on in our culture right now that we're going to address before we leave here, that you'll say, yes, I, I know that's happening. I know that's happening right now. Somewhere out there right now, it's happening. Right this second. So if your vision of justice does not take seriously the godhood of God, that you should have no other gods before Him, then your justice is not real justice. Because in Justice for All, what we're really saying is um, the very first person who, is, who should get what they're due is God. Of all the the people, of all the the beings in this universe, the one who should be getting what they're due, no matter what, is God. And I think the real essence of the problem in, in addressing justice is God needs to receive what he's due. And if we took seriously, you shall have no other gods before me, injustice would dry up and float away. If we took it, if we were serious about, if we understood how that affects everything that we do, no other gods. So it really is an issue of worship, just like the Aztecs and the sun god and the water god, or Hernan Cortez and the quest for gold, uh, both committed heinous injustices, and all of those injustices were the cause of a root injustice, and here it is. It says, look deep enough, this is a quote from the book, look deep enough underneath any horizontal human against human injustice and you will always find a human against God injustice. A refusal to give the Creator the worship that only the Creator is due. And the summary is, all injustice is in essence a violation of the first commandment. All of it. I don't care what category you want to put it into, I can tell you all that injustice has at its root a violation of the first commandment. There shall be no other gods for us. No other gods. You're saying, well, what other gods are you talking about? We'll touch on those in just a moment. Question number two. Does your vision of justice acknowledge the image of God in everyone? If you want to differentiate between biblical justice and a, uh, a, a false manufactured human-centered justice? You have to answer this question. Does your vision of justice acknowledge the image of God in everyone? That every single human being is an image-bearer of God. And by that definition, they have things due to them. And the least of that, the very minimum, is that they deserve dignity and respect as image-bearers. Not because of what neighborhood they live in, not because of even the acts that they've perpetrated, but because they're image bearers, there's a certain approach that deserves, that deserves dignity and respect. That doesn't mean you don't address law breaking, it doesn't mean you don't address things, it just means at basis, basic level, even as a fallen sinner, they are image bearers of the one true God. And that falls into your worship. Because if you really do believe that there is no other God besides God and that every human being is his image bearer, that would address a lot of our cries about uh, what's injustice and what's not. We would have a better approach. And there are some categories that I think we should consider and talk about. So the secular humanist basically says uh, that image of God stuff, that's for you Christian weirdos. Uh, think, thankfully you guys are dwindling more and more churches are going away couldn't be a better time for all that stuff to go away because the real approach to justice is secular humanism where, um, where people are not identified by any religious approach but identified by a standing amongst the community right and I say uh, how's that going for you how's that working out Because what happens is you begin to adjust everyone from an image-bearer of God, deserving of some dignity and respect, and reduce them down to natural bodies and then natural categories that you begin to put on them. And as a result of that, those those natural categories end up with no way for you to establish what what a definition of justice should be for all. No way. There's no way you could do it. Because in those categories, you begin to differentiate between intelligence. You begin to differentiate between skill. You begin to differentiate between gender. You begin to differentiate between sexuality. And as you put all those categories on it, what you've just said is, there's no way for me to execute justice for everybody. Because there's no overarching, required approach to people that does not take into account any of those categories, but that they're simply image bearers. There are questions about this, and I'll give you time to ask them in just a second. Reducing people to either snowflake or Nazi, I'm kind of poking it, uh, Thaddeus does it too. So, um, Reducing people to either a snowflake or a Nazi, a leftist or alt-right, um, a political party, or reducing them to their race, their size, their sexual proclivities, or social status means that you've just erased any ability to approach justice as a justice-for-all category because you are going to reduce people to certain things, and there's no way to then measure, how can I give justice? There's none. It's, it's why every time somebody creates a new intersectional group, you've reduced the ability to give justice. You have. Uh, James Cone is a um, black liberation theologian. And James Cone has written very clearly that this whole Imago Day, this image of God thing, chuck it. And what really needs to happen in justice is for white people, looking around, all you, um, almost, all, all you, to begin to think about justice in terms of all the things that you have done wrong, not Not that James Cone has done wrong. No. No, 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 no. What you have done wrong. And that the only way true justice happens is if you get punished. Which is an absolute aberration to who is God? Are all people image bearers of God? What do we know about all people as being sinners? And what is it that God requires? James Cone would say, no, no, we need to divide up into groups. And then, as I identify you in that group, we need to bring the hammer for whatever your group history has been. And there is no differentiation between your group and your individual experience. No, none, zero. You could have grown up in the mission field, you could be seven generations South African sitting in this room right now, looking as you look. And that's no, there is no um, way to address the group that you've been identified with and the justice that somebody would ask for. So all of a sudden, justice is not. Because we start to dip- differentiate between all the groups, assign you to a group, assign guilt to groups, and then all of a sudden justice is different for everybody. Different. So I just want to take a few minutes, and um, I've mentioned a couple of things. What are human beings do? If justice is really an understanding of who God is and the fact that He has made us in His image, what are human beings do. So the first thing we could say that is a true statement about all human beings and what they're due is eternal punishment in hell apart from Jesus. Everybody agree with that? Uh, you should because you're in Sunday school and you're in a church, a Reformed church in the uh, classic uh, Christian Orthodox tradition, Westminster-based. Apart from Jesus, we all deserve hell. Regardless of your size, shape, color, how much melanin you have, uh, sexuality, everybody deserves hell. So that's one. Um, By the way, there is a differentiation between sort of uh, retributive justice, justice that is like recompense, like you should be punished, and justice that is, I owe you this because because of who you are, because of your... Image bearing status. I owe you this. Something else that, that you would say human beings are due. Very good. And quick correction, uh, life, liberty, produce, pursuit of happiness is the declaration. The Constitution is set up to protect the declaration, and that um, c- declaration says that those three inalienable rights are given by the Creator and not by any government, right? So we should we should count some of those, right? Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, uh, which, by the way, originally in the writing was pursuit of property. But life, liberty, pursuit of happiness uh, as things that we should say, I wonder if all human beings are due life. I wonder why the church is so adamant about the protection of unborn children. Why are they so adamant? Because we think that God, in making us image bearers, has given us the ability to have life unimpeded by the taking of it. That's justice. I owe that. And to take that away is injustice. I know that I have family members who are like, "How do you keep hammering that topic?" Because there's a God in heaven who hates it, who hates injustice, and that's one of them. It's a great answer. What what else are human beings do? Anybody any thoughts, comments? My slides keep going backwards. Um, Question three. I'm still on question two. I'll say question three out loud and slow. Well, I'm not. There I am. Uh, Does your vision of justice make a false god out of the self, the state, or social acceptance? If your version of justice makes an idol out of any of those things... Your justice and biblical justice do not line up. So, what I just picked on is what culturally is known as the idols of the quote left. There are idols for the right as well. Can you name any idols for the right? I don't want to, I'm not trying to start a fight. I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I'm not trying to start a fight, pick on anybody. Can we go with general categories? (laughs) General categories of idols for the so-called right. Uh, It could be an idol for those on the so-called right. Power uh, is often used as a slam against anybody who is of that side. That's left. That side. That side uh, is power. Power. Uh, Money. You guys love money. You just hoard money. You're just so greedy, right? Uh, My my left friends are pretty greedy, too. Uh, They just don't admit it. Uh, By the way, you don't either, and I don't either. And It's one of the reasons why Paul says it's a trap, that money is a trap, because you never admit that you're greedy. It's a trap. I'll stop there. Other idols for the so-called right are conservative. Capitalism is or uh, any kind of form of government can be set up as an idol <laughs> so that we start debating over even these things of uh, uh, well we do have a version of the state where we want it to operate on our behalf, and then they have a version of the state that they want to operate the way they want it to operate and it becomes an idol as well. What else becomes an idol? Patriotism can be an idol. It doesn't matter if you're American or somewhere else. It can become an idol where you love that more than God. If you think that's not an idol, we should talk. We should talk. Thank you, Brian. Uh, I I think it's true and I think that's true for any any side, so-called side, that you can hold your personal morals, ideals, values in such a way that I cannot be wrong about them. There's no way on earth I can be wrong and so if you disagree with me, you're the other and it's time to fight. Right? And I don't mean just pugilistic. It's just time to argue and bicker and cast dispersions. Uh, Welcome to Twitter. Any other so-called idols on the... We're, I'm going to spend most of my time on the idol for the left. And you're going to say, I'm picking on them, and I'm going to say, no, I'm just going through the book. Yeah, I, I think particularly in what's known as like the alt-right, um, skin tone becomes a factor because those are groups that would consider themselves to be right, um, conservative, and I would say, eh uh-uh, not so fast. But they would. And they would say, um, My ethnicity is better than your ethnicity. My race is better than your race. Any others? Yeah, and this is, this is where we've lost the ability to nuance anything. So if you said, um, I think it's the church's job. I'm just going to give you an example. I'm not trying to start a fight. If you said, it's the church's job to take care of the poor, the government should stop taking care of the poor. Forget that. I, we just read verses where God said, you should take care of the immigrant, the widow, the orphan, and the poor. We just read verses that God said to do it. So I don't think the government should be doing any of that. And then I would say, you need a little more nuance. In your argument. Because right now, I'm just here to tell you, just here to tell you. The the Harvard economist, who's also a follower of Jesus, who wrote a book on this very topic, said about 96% of all the care of the poor ain't coming from the church. Not coming from the church. If you're ready to take on 96% or some larger chunk, I know you'd argue, well, not everything that's care for the poor is really good use of money. I agree. I agree. and I'm a mercy ministry guy. And I agree. But if you said, I'm ready to take all that on, I would say, no, you're not. You're not. You're not ready. The uh, The 6% that the, the Christian world takes care of, a uh, large chunk of that is the Catholic Church. It's the Catholic Church. Uh, there's not a whole lot of that coming from other places. It's happening, but not to the measure that our Catholic friends are doing and certainly not to the measure that the state is doing. But... There are idols on the left, and those idols are, number one, the self. I don't know which one we are. Just Don't look at that one yet. Um, Idols of the self, and this is where you are so frustrated and I get so frustrated, is who I am and my identity is the highest thing ever. And you're not allowed to tell me what what it is at all. At all. I can nuance it so much that you don't have any idea that my identity is mine. I, I could change it tomorrow which is the problem, Which is the problem. But that vaulting of self as an idol becomes a way that well, there's no way to do justice. There's no way for us to have any kind of talk of justice if you're in a category that's so unique and so separate from the rest of us. Then any talk of real justice for all is like, that doesn't matter anymore. It's justice for you. Who cares about anybody else with other identities? So the self gets vaulted. The state, um, I'm not picking on one side or the other, but particularly on that side, there's an amazing amount of, of trust, of endorsement, of problem solving that begins and ends with the government. And I'm saying, if you've done any kind of study on any government program, they're not very good at it. They don't, they don't excel at doing things well. There's a couple of things they do really well. What's the government do really well? Say that again? They're really good at taxation. They really are. They're they're skilled at that. What else? Spending it, but particularly, what are they good at spending it on? The military. So they're really good at building a military that can defend us against the entire planet if we had to, right? Or other solar systems for that matter. So if they're coming from outer space, we're ready. America's ready. Um, but we do, we're really good at, at military uh, defense. We're really good at those kind of things. They're not really good, and I, I teach community transformation at uh, Union University here in town, and one of the things we talk about all the time is um, when it comes to social innovation and how to, how to meet the needs of neighbors, the government's not very, their, their track record is awful. Which is why back in the day, I'm just using one example, but George W. Bush, George H. W. Bush, sorry, had the Thousand Points of Light campaign, where he actually in- included and invited faith-based organizations to have government funding to go and work in their neighborhoods because they're better at it, right? A lot of that's kind of pulled back, but there's still a lot of faith-based organizations. One of, the, um, so, I, I know us. I know that we look north of the Tennessee state line and we throw rocks at that city. I was born there, but they rock that city all the time. And I would say, there's a couple of things you ought to love about it. Number one, there's not a place that has more faith-based nonprofits engaged in every neighborhood I can possibly think of. I know it's not enough. I know it's not. But I can't think of another place that has as many relationships in the faith-based community that's engaging in difficult areas in every topic you can think of and they're working right now. They're working right now. It's an amazing place. The other reason why I think you should, you should appreciate the city across the line is the most generous people on planet earth per capita by giving are connected to that city. That's, you can go look that one up. Not New York. Not, not Saudi Arabia. Not Riyadh. Not Salt Lake, Memphis, Tennessee. There's a couple of things you should like about it. A couple of things you should say, that's pretty good. It is. There are lots of things really bad, but that's pretty good. <clears throat> so we were talking about idols of the left and idols of the right, and the state is one, and then this social acceptance, where what's most important to me is I want everybody to like me what's most important to me is that I align and can communicate and identify with people around me in such a way that we are all together. We're all united, which, by the way, is a farce. It, it doesn't happen because we're so divided up. On, let me pick another way I can divide myself from you and separate myself from you and tell you how I've been, how I've been abused by you. And then justice goes away. We'll talk about that next week for sure. So those three, um, does your vision of justice start with a right view of who God is? Does your vision of justice have a right view of the image bearers of God? And does your vision of justice uh, make idols out of self-state or social acceptance? If you answer yes to those, that, that you, don't, you don't honor the godhood of God, you don't honor image bearers, and, you don't, uh, and your idols are self-state and social acceptance, your definition of justice is not going to align with the Bible's. It's just not. And you can argue it all day, but that's not going to align in any way, shape, or form. You're not going to get a lot of adherents that say, that that view of justice is what I'm about. But if we were, if we were serious about God being God over all things, and that image bearers are due certain things because of their image bearing status, and that our idolatry on both sides needs to go away, we're making some headway. We can make some headway on real justice, biblical justice, because it all starts with what you worship. Scratch that. It all starts with who you worship. Let me pause there. There's so much more to cover, but questions, comments, and then next week we'll pick up with the section, second section. John? Yeah. It's a good way to say it. When it comes to me, I want mercy. When it comes to everybody else, I want justice. And I mean justice in the punishment way. I don't mean justice in the what you are do way. Which, by the way, is a biblical view. When he says do justice, he's not saying go out and become law enforcement officers and punish everybody. He's saying those four categories that he talked about, the immigrant, the poor, the widow, the orphan, what are you doing? I'll just say that. What are you doing? That's what God, God commands it. So I'm just going to ask you, church, Sean, What are you doing? Other questions or comments? Thank you, John. Before we wrap up for today. And it's, it'll help you, too. Uh, some of the examples are um, a guy who was a skinhead who um, experienced uh, conversion and now understands what biblical justice is and has moved completely to a view of who is Jesus and what He's done for us. An uh, um, African-American woman who used to use categories of if you're white, you're guilty, and if you're not, you're not, um, has has since started a podcast on what it, what it means to have biblical justice and has uh, aligned herself. She asked herself the question, Um, who is God who are the image bearers what do they do and how have I been um, mistreating or disobeying God all this time about doing justice fascinating stories worth a read might give you pause to say not everybody's in that category not everybody you think of because you can think of categories right now groups of people right now that you're like I don't like them I know you can. If if you were outside of this room, talking around the table, you'd be saying, I don't like these people. I don't like that group. I think they're crazy. There's there's always that tribalistic, and as soon as you establish a tribe over there, anybody who is in that category becomes guilty. That's what we're trying to address is, is that right? Is a biblical view of justice aligned with that? We'll keep going, but we're not going to go for long because it is, a, it is a topic that will wear you out. So this past week, your elder Sean posted that podcast to the Faith Life app and did it without saying it to see if anybody had actually heard that podcast. Discovered it on the Faith Life app. It's out there. Uh, It's really good. It's really quite helpful. You'll get a better picture of who Fadigas Williams is because what what your, um, your perception will be, he's a guy trying to make peace with everybody. He's not. He's just coming at it as what's biblical. Thank you. Somebody else? Any other questions or comments before we close out? Yes. So part one was today. Uh, the three chapters on uh, justice and worship. Next week is justice and community. It's fascinating stuff. It helps us think biblically. It helps us think about what the culture is saying on justice and saying some of that is got some biblical truth to it. But man, when you go there, it is completely the opposite of biblical justice. Any other questions or comments? Hang with me. I know it's a tough topic. It's one that I've been looking forward to. Um, it's hard and um, it, does, it does fatigue you. So We're not going to do it forever. It's going to be just a few weeks. Um, then we'll get moving. Uh, next Sunday, as you know, we have a uh, congregational meeting. We'll make a decision on some land purchase. And if there's time after, we'll pick up on justice and community. And I want to make sure we have some time for questions. Uh, Jim. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. So I won't have to do justice and community next week. Bob is going to finish out, finish out our time after the meeting, with a Peru mission visit that we had and some updates on that. Thank you, Jim. He might have. We'll, we'll remind him along the way. Anybody else? Can can we pray before we go? Let's pray. Chris Lyons, would you pray?